Welcome to Hope Community Church's Sermon of the Week. It's our prayer that this message will encourage and equip you to love like Jesus. To learn more about Hope, visit us at hccalive.com. Now enjoy the message. Oftentimes when we gather on Christmas Eve, we focus in on the birth of Christ. And tomorrow for our online worship service, we will be doing that. But this evening, we're going to continue with our Advent series that we've been working through this last fall on how Jesus, the light, has come. And this afternoon, the emphasis is going to be how the light is here. Jesus Christ, the light of the world from John 8, 12. Let me set the context before I reread that verse, though. There were many opportunities for the Jewish people to gather, and they would celebrate at different feasts. There was the Feast of Passover. There was the Feast of First Fruits. But this story takes place while there was the Feast of Tabernacles. Sometimes when we read in the New Testament, they actually refer to it as the, uh, the Feast of Booths. And I want to share with you a little bit of why that's important. First of all, when they would celebrate the, the festival here, this Feast of Tabernacles, which was sometimes called the Feast of Booths, it would be called that because as they would gather, they would, com- they would celebrate and comm- commemorate that God had delivered the people of Israel after wandering in the desert for 40 years. Now, as they wandered in the desert, they didn't have permanent structures. And so sometimes when they would gather, they would gather in in these little booths. And it was a reminder of how that wasn't a permanent home. It would kind of be like today, people going camping. When you go camping in a camper or the real way in a tent, it's not a permanent home. It's a place that you gather for a little bit, but you give up your amenities of being at home, some of the comforts when you're out camping. And this is what the people would do for seven days. These festivals would last for an entire week. Now, I don't know about you, but I could go for a festival that would last for seven days. That would be quite an experience. We don't celebrate like they did back then, but the celebration was how God had delivered them. The celebration was God's provision and how he protected them those 40 years as they wandered in the wilderness. But the other part of this festival that was so important is they would also recognize that the Messiah, the promised Messiah, the Son of God, eventually would come. But there was this longing. There there was this hope that eventually the Messiah would come. It's at this festival of all times and of all places, that Jesus would announce who he is. I'm trying to really help us understand this. We have a celebration here in America that we call Fourth of July, Independence Day. And during that holiday, we gather, there's excitement, there's joy. And as we gather and we maybe go camping or we're with family and friends, there is this celebratory spirit amongst everybody who's participating Hopefully, you experience that same celebratory spirit on Christmas Eve. But this is the anticipation that these people had. And during this celebration, as you can feel the energy in the air, Jesus stands up and he says this from John chapter 8. Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. From the very beginning of John's gospel, as we've been studying these last 
four weeks or so, John has this fascination with light and with life. The light is here, Jesus. The light is here for the world. Jesus said this, I am the light of the world. As Jesus stood in front of the people, I imagine maybe even as the the sun has gone down, he's looking over and he sees many of the menorahs, the, the candles where you have those seven candlesticks. Many of you have seen them in pictures or maybe even in windows, right? The center one represents God and you've got three candles on each side. Maybe Jesus is even looking at the menorahs as they're being lit. And, and as people are dependent upon light because the sun has set, even at this moment, the priests may have been climbing the very ladders where they would light these massive candles to keep the entire city lit throughout the evening. They would light these candles in the temple mount. For some of you, you you may recognize that phrase, the temple mount. In fact, it would be the temple mount in Matthew chapter 4, Luke chapter 4, where Jesus would experience this testing, this temptation from the devil In this very place, not at this moment, but in this very place, the devil would say to Jesus, if you're the son of God, cast yourself down because God will take care of you. God won't let your foot be dashed against the stone. And Jesus' response was, we shouldn't test God. But in this very place, at the Temple Mount, as they're climbing the ladders, these priests would climb the ladders to light these huge candles to keep the entire city lit. As people are looking at Jesus, his announcement is, I am the light of the world. In that moment, probably the peak of the celebration, people had looked to Jesus as the healer. They looked to Jesus as a teacher. Some questioned, is he a prophet? Could he be the very Messiah that we've been waiting for? Jesus gives us the second of his seven great I am statements. Jesus says, I am the light of the world. He didn't say, I am a light to the world. He could have said that, but he didn't. He could have said, I am one of many lights to the world, but he didn't say that either. He makes it exclusively clear that he is the light of the world. The tension around what Jesus was saying must have begun to to escalate even more. As people were forced to make a decision about this healer, uh, about this teacher, perhaps the prophet, perhaps the Messiah, the tension now is clear because he's declared that he is the light of the world. A decision has to be made from the hearers as they listen. do Do they believe him? Do they question him? What do we do with this statement? Jesus did not say he was just the light to Jerusalem, though he could have, especially as those candles were lighting the area all around. He said, I am the light of the world, fulfillment of the prophecy. Christmas time is a unique celebration where we often use lights to celebrate our time together. We often use lights in the home on Christmas trees. We often have lights outside of our homes to celebrate Christmas and 
Thanks to me inappropriately dropping that in a sermon a few weeks ago, now I have Christmas lights for next year to decorate our home. And for those of you who missed it, that is not something I look forward to, but they've been delivered and now I have to do something about it. But just as I have to do something about that, we, we have to do something with the, the declaration of Jesus about being the light to the world. But he didn't just come for the world, he came for us personally. Jesus came for you personally. In fact, his words are, whoever follows me will not walk in darkness. Again, Jesus is establishing now the standard between light and darkness. When we follow Jesus, we walk in light. But when we don't follow him, we we walk in darkness. We can't see. But to follow Christ is a personal decision. Jesus came for us personally. He says, whoever would follow me will not walk in darkness. That does not mean that when we follow Christ, our life will be without struggles. We will experience struggles in this life, even with Jesus lighting the path. Even with Jesus being the true North Star, we still experience struggle. We still experience temptation. We still experience the pain of loss, of disappointment. We still experience those things, but there is a difference There's a light that brings hope. That's Christ. But Jesus is making another statement of exclusivity, that he is the light of the world. That means when we walk in the light, though, it impacts how we treat other people. We often say here at Hope that we want to love like Jesus. So Jesus, being the light, he walks in love. Jesus walks in love in compassion, with gentleness, with mercy. You see, when we walk with Jesus, those things become a part of our very DNA, a part of our very makeup. We extend compassion and mercy and forgiveness to one another because of us walking in the light. What about if the meal's late? Yes, even if the meal is late. What if you're the the parent who's stuck doing all of the dishes tonight after the Christmas Eve meal? Yes, even then, we extend mercy. We extend grace because it changes us. We walk in light, not in darkness. But following Jesus clarifies our relationship to God. There are people who walk in darkness intentionally. I would say that is not the vast majority. The vast majority of people who walk in darkness, they don't realize it. They don't realize they're walking in darkness. But they need the light to illuminate truth. But one thing is clear. Light and darkness are in opposition. Light and darkness are in opposition. It reminds me of an experience I had earlier this fall I had a chance to go on a youth retreat, and it was an incredible experience. But on that retreat, we took a night hike. Now, for those of you who don't know what that is, basically, it was well after the sun had set. One of the camp activities was to go on a walk. I went for two reasons. One, to prove to the kids I'm not afraid of the dark, which I am. (laughs) Two, I had a couple of daughters on that night walk, and I wanted to keep an eye on things. I was in a a pretty big dilemma there, right? But on this night hike, as we were walking, I I was reminded of how when we're out in the dark, our eyes eventually do adjust. They adjust to the dark some, 
And we can see maybe, maybe part of the path because of the way the light shines in. And on that night walk, the leader had us do something kind of neat. He, he said, what I want you to do is cover just one eye and make sure there's no light getting in. And I'm going to turn my flashlight on. And as he turned his flashlight on, of course, the light or the eye that was uncovered, it, it quickly now is forced to adjust to the light. And so we can see the difference, right? And then he turns the light off and he says, now open both eyes. Can you see the difference between the one that needs to readjust and the one that has been adjusted to the dark? And we're like, oh yeah, that's, that's so clear. His, his point that he was trying to make is that our eyes adjust. But I would say there's a spiritual principle to this. You see, when we walk in the light, our eyes adjust to the light. When we walk in darkness, and there are times in our lives where we're drawn toward that, where, where we're not consistently walking with Christ, our eyes spiritually adjust to that as well. But Jesus is saying, not only is he the light to the world, but when we follow him, we will not walk in darkness, but we will walk in the light. Following Jesus leads us to light. But that's a personal decision that we need to consistently make each day. That's a, a conscious decision that we make moment by moment, walking in the light. But Jesus gives us a personal invitation to follow him. It wasn't a declaration from a distance. It's a personal invitation to walk with him. Jesus Christ, the light of the world, is here. He's here for the world. He's here for you personally. But he's here for us to share as well. The text goes on to say this, but you will have the light of life. When you follow Jesus, you will have the light of life. As I was thinking about a way to hopefully make that make sense, I thought about in our area, in our climate, very seldom does it happen, but occasionally we lose power. We lose power maybe because of a storm or because somebody was at a festival for far too long and they hit a telephone pole, but we, we can lose power sometimes. When we lose power, it's not a big deal in the daytime. Well, maybe it can be if it extends, but we have light. When we lose power at night, there is something about the sense of when will we have light again. There, there is a calming when the light comes back on. When all of a sudden the lights flicker, and you know what that means. It means that the house is now going to have light throughout it again. And there's a calmness that comes when we receive power again, when we have the light on again, Jesus says, you will have the light of life. The comfort that we have, the world needs that. Those without Christ need that comfort. The world needs to know the light of the world is Jesus Christ. In all of the seven statements that Jesus said that were the I am statements. I'm going to read them briefly, but I just want to touch on them for a reason. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. He said, I am the door. I am the good shepherd. I'm the resurrection and the life. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. I am the vine. Of all of those I am statements, none of them are we invited into. We're, we're not invited to be the bread of life, the door. We're not invited to be the, the vine. We're not invited into any of those. But this one, the second one, that he says, he says, I am the light of the world and you have the light of life. He invites us into this one. This is unique because of that. As we celebrate that the light is here, Jesus, when he is 
literally living within us, we get to be that light to other people. We experience the life of that. But we receive this when we have a relationship with Christ. It doesn't just happen through osmosis of some type. It is a personal relationship when we surrender our lives to Christ. But then we receive the responsibility as well. We receive a a commissioning, but it's an opportunity to bring light into darkness. It's, It's an opportunity to have relationship with the living God. In fact, when Jesus described light, there was one of his most famous sermons he's ever preached, the Sermon on the Mount. During that sermon, Jesus looked across the vast crowd of people And as he speaks to them, here are the words that he says. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. This is exactly what's happening at the festival, right? They light the lamp and it goes up on a stand. And it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Jesus is saying, as we follow him, we have the light of life. We're to share that with other people. We're to bring the light of Christ within us into those environments. But he commissions his followers. We consistently see that. Christmas Eve is about Jesus, the light of the world. But Christmas Eve is also about us as his followers being a light to the world. That's God's plan. There's no plan B. That's his plan. As we worship God, as we walk in obedience with God, we bring the light of Christ into the world. What I want to say is this. Do do not minimize and do not suppress the way that God has created each of you uniquely. When we serve people, when we serve God, they may see your good works, but what does the text tell us? That it it gives or it directs glory to God. When we do the things that God has invited us to do, has called us to do, has commissioned us to do, they may see us, but it's about God receiving the glory. And that's what we desire. We desire that people would be drawn to Jesus. He's the light of the world. And we're here to celebrate that. When we embrace that, it changes our hearts. A couple of weeks ago, my wife and I had a chance to take a little trip. And as we were on this trip, well, I should say in the beginning stages of it, somebody got onto a bus with us. And when they got on the bus, they had a dog. And it was, um, it was a dog that was used for special purposes And so it's got the vest on. It says, do not touch. And I just want to assure you, I didn't reach down and touch it and pet it, although I wanted to because it looked like a nice dog. And as this guy's on the bus, my my job in our marriage is to talk to people. That's, That's what I do. She's introverted. I'm extroverted. But somebody on that bus took my job. And so they started asking this guy about this dog that he had brought with him. And and he was explaining that this dog was one of like three dogs in all of the world who can detect chlorine below the surface. And he's sharing this and of 
course, I'm getting more and more interested and, and I'm listening and he's like, this dog can detect chlorine even under six inches of water. And he's explaining this. And the, of course, the intention is as the dog walks through water, walks over the ground, whatever the circumstances are, it's able to de- detect a chlorine leak. And then they know exactly where to fix it. Our problem is that when we're born into this world, we're born into this world with an imprint toward sin. We're, we're drawn toward sin. Just like as that dog was just only a couple weeks old, it was imprinted with the ability to detect chlorine. When, when we're born into this world, we have an imprint to detect sin. We're drawn toward sin. We're drawn toward pleasure. But what we need to do is have an experience where we surrender our lives to Christ. In that very moment, when we surrender to Christ, there's a new imprinting that happens where we're drawn toward the light, where, where our very makeup is pulled toward Jesus. That's why when we're not living for Jesus, we're not able to enjoy sin. We're not able to enjoy the, the pleasure of that anymore because we've received a new print, a new imprinting. The light of the world, though, is available. Jesus is available to all who need the new imprint on their heart. That's what Jesus came to do, to be the light of the world. But then us, as we follow him, as we receive that light, we bring that light into the world. As I think about that, I realize that many of us have maybe been in a dark place and wondering if, if it's true that Jesus can light our path, that Jesus can renew hope in us. And I want to tell you the, the answer to that is yes, but it isn't because I tell you that. It's because of what Jesus declares, that there is light, there is hope. And I also realize that there may be people here this evening and they're saying, I, I've never received that hope. I've never in my life made that transition to fully surrender my life to Jesus. You can do that tonight. I want to invite you to do that. And we're not going to ask you to raise your hand. We're not going to ask you to come forward. But in the stillness of your heart, I'm going to, I'm going to invite you to pray with me and invite Christ to change your life as we surrender to him. Jesus, we do look to you in all things. And we ask you God, in this moment, if there is somebody or many people who have never received you, they've never looked to you and put their full faith and trust in you, Jesus, we pray in this moment that your Holy Spirit would stir them. In fact, their hearts may be pounding as they're questioning and wondering what this looks like. There's fear of how you would change their hearts and lives. But in this moment, would you please give them the courage to say yes to you and pray something like this. Lord Jesus, please forgive me. I know that you are the light of the world. I know that you've come, that I can have a relationship with you. And I know that happens the moment. But I ask you for the forgiveness of my sins. And in this moment, I pray that you would forgive me of my sins. I want to surrender to you. 
And for all of those who have made that decision over the years, God, would you continue to to direct our steps and our path that as we've received you, the light of the world, that we would be your light to the world and we would direct people to you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Sermon of the Week. Previous messages of our Acts series can be found at hccalive.com. If you would like to partner with us, you have the opportunity to give at hccalive.com as well. Don't forget to subscribe and may we continue to love like Jesus.